Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. For now, we hope you enjoy this message. Thanks for tuning in today. Anyway, I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews, the first chapter. We're going to begin there this morning. Hebrews, the, the um, first chapter. I titled this message, What a Christ-like Life Looks Like. I think a lot of times, you know, we, if you've ever been a, you know, you've ever been around Christians and ever been hurt by a Christian, anybody ever been hurt by a Christian? Or maybe you're a Christian that been hurt by other people, you know, or you've, I mean, you've hurt other people. It's just part of the, it's just part of the uh, journey as we, as we go through this life that, you know, we're all, we're all. Um, and I, I say this carefully, but you understand what I'm saying. Though we are born again on the inside, there's still brokenness in our lives. There's still, you know, a dysfunction in our lives that slowly but surely as we walk with God, those things, you know, begin to dissipate from our lives, at least uh, to some measures to where we can. What's what? What's that, huh? It's opportunity to do the word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hebrews, the first chapter, verse one. This is the the contemporary English version. Long ago in many ways and at many times, God, let's talk about before Christ, God's prophets spoke his message to our ancestors. And, uh, and uh, let somebody say, what was the message? Redemption. Redemption. What is redemption? It means uh, God uh, finding a way to uh, find a, a sacrifice that would suffice heaven and bring us human people fallen because of sin back into unity with God. How many grateful you're a child of God today? Amen. And uh, he goes on, uh, but now at last, uh, God sent his son to bring his, that's God's message to us. God created the universe by his son and everything will someday belong to the son. Now God's son, this is what I want you to see. God's son has all the brightness of God's own glory and is like him in every way. I want you to catch that. And is like him in every way. The Passion Bible says the Son is the exact expression of God's true nature. Amen. So, I mean, for generations, people have had a distorted view of who God is. God, uh, for the most part, he's, um, he, he can be your problem, but he can be your promise. And uh, for most of us who are fractured, uh, you know, tend to believe that he was more of our problem than our promise. Because we really didn't understand the promise, so that we just focused on the problem. Can I have an amen? And so Jesus came to show us. He was the exact. He was the. Uh, he was the. Ex- uh, uh, let me exact expression of God's true nature. His mere image. The Amplified says he's the perfect imprint, and very image of God's nature. So the full essence of who God is was revealed through the life and ministry of His beloved Son Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Hallelujah! I said Hallelujah. Obviously, listen to this, it's so good. Obviously, it was important to God what the world's perspective of him was. He got blamed for everything in the Old Testament. Everything. And why? Because uh, God really never revealed much about the devil in the Old Testament. And so he was pretty much, uh, he took the brunt of all, uh, uh, both uh, uh, positive and negative. But he, it's impossible for him to partake of, of that which is evil because he's only good. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll get a few amens anyway this morning. Jesus was the express, exact expression of God's true nature. Listen, therefore, God is not a God of retribution, but a God of restoration. 
And Jesus came into our world uh, to reveal to fallen humanity the true nature of God. Now turn to Luke, the sixth chapter. We're going to, this is what we're talking about, what a Christ-like life looks like. How do we identify one? And because um, again, all of us have been hurt by Christians. And all of us, if we're really honest, probably have hurt other people in our Christian nature. Uh, uh, just because we, we have both natures to deal with in our lives. The, the new nature on the inner side uh, contends with the old nature on the outside. And there's constant warfare going on between them. And, and therefore, uh, there was a reason that Jesus commanded his disciples. He commanded them to walk in love. He commanded them to love one another. He says, by this shall all men know. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples indeed, if you have love one to another. And uh, he talked about that in the book of John. And look at the sixth chapter. In the very early stages of uh, Jesus' ministry, he wanted his disciples to know to know his heavenly father and for them to know what a godlike life looks like, okay? And verse 27, we'll begin there. This is the message translation. To you who are ready, Jesus is talking to his disciples. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies. I think it's interesting how there's people, that, there are people out there always, you know, uh, want to tell you to, to read the word literally. And then when it comes to uh, scriptures like this, well, that's not exactly what he meant. No, he meant love your enemies. Jesus meant that. Love your enemies. And um, uh, the good news, what God requires, he inspires and empowers. Just want you to know that. Hallelujah. The word enemy there is in the Greek is the hateful, the odious, or the repulsive, the hostile, any natural adversary. I just want you to know, any natural adversary, okay? And um, uh, the word love is the word agape which is the, the purest and the highest form of good that God has expressed towards humanity since Adam fell. He never gave Adam what he deserved. He gave Adam mercy and forgiveness. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Amen. So that's, that's who God is, okay? He is agape. The Bible says in John, we, had, we sang a chorus years ago. Uh, some of you old-timers will know it. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. <laughs> Some of you are out there going, now I know how, why pastor's so weird. No. See, we just little courses like that, you know, just simple courses. Hallelujah. Walking in the favor of God. Just little courses to inspire us and strengthen us. Hallelujah for each and every day that we battle life. Amen. So anyway, um, uh, God is love, meaning the fullness of his divine nature is the God of love. God, it isn't that God has love, because if he just had love, then he'd have something else. But God is love. That is his nature, Okay. He can't help but love. Come on, everybody thank the Lord for that. Amen, because he loves us. Praise the Lord. Okay? Agape love, here's the definition. It's the spiritual expression of God's nature that manifests in goodness. Goodness that far exceeds our transgressions, our mistakes, and our misdeeds. And listen, offers unconditional love, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, peace, and spiritual restoration. Woo-hoo-hoo! Isn't that good? That's, that's the agape love manifested in the earth. 
All right, let's go back. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies. When I read that scripture, immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to me about Peter. Can you imagine what Peter was thinking that day when he heard Jesus say this? Can you imagine, here's a guy that was so compulsive, he was, he was so emotional out of control that he really believed with all his heart that it was God's will that he pull out his sword uh, and begin to kill those soldiers that, um, that were going to arrest Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? He said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. That's what Jesus said. And so that wasn't the answer. What was the answer? Love was the answer. Love is what compelled Jesus to go to the cross. We were sharing that this morning, that he said, I could call up or whatever, 12 legions of angels and deliver me right now, but love doesn't do that. Love came to fulfill uh, God's, uh, the loving God, his perfect will, and that's to die for the sins of the world. But I can imagine Peter saying this, excuse me, sir, hating um, detesting, plotting, and destroying our enemies, I can understand. But to love them, that ain't going to happen. You have to understand that the, the feeling they have. How would you like to be uh, everything about your life stripped from you? And you're living in bondage and, and you're tormented and, uh, by, some, by someone and you cannot get free from it. And so the only answer you have is kill your enemies. That's what Peter had been trained to do. Because as a nation, just like today, anti-Semitism ruled uh, uh, mightily in that time, just, as it, as, it, just uh, as it has throughout the centuries. These fishermen were well aware of Israel's history of persecution and anti-Semitism. Isn't that interesting? Today, we've got large crowds in the United States that are gathering together saying, gas the Jews. But what's interesting about this whole concept is that you don't have a bunch of Jews saying, gas the Palestinians. I'm just saying, you know, the, the, the distortion and the perversion. So you can tell what, who's behind this demonic uh, expression. Uh, yeah, it, it just, so... And we'll talk about this a little more as we go on here. Anyway, these fishermen knew the stories about their ancestors, how they suffered under the cruel uh, hand of the pharaohs through the centuries, and the stories of the multiplied thousands of people that were killed by the edge of the sword. And now, Jesus, you're instructing us to love our enemies. And why did Jesus do that? Why did he instruct that? Because that is exactly what God does. He loves his enemies. John 5, 19 says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. Are you catching this this morning? So yes, God loves his enemies, and he's expecting nothing less of his followers. And if he didn't love his enemies, none of us would be here today. Because we were, in our minds, enemies of God. Here in Luke's gospel, Jesus reveals the heart of the Father uh, in Luke 6.35 when he says, God is kind, that word kind means good and gracious, uh, to the unthankful and to the evil. So when it comes to the wars in the Middle East, I said it on Wednesday night, but the wars in the Middle East uh, have been going on for 3,500 years, it, uh, uh, probably uh, beginning on the inside and then manifesting on the outside. Warfare, fighting, division. Suffering, death has been going on for generations. Amen. And um, Christ, as Christians, we must not fall into the trap of believing that God loves the Jews, but he doesn't love the Arab nations. In fact, he loves all nations. 
In fact, he promised that in John 3, 16. God so loved the Israelites that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So my point in bringing that all up is we have to always be very careful so we don't, we're not hoodwinked into believing that God has, a, a, has something against the Palestinians. He doesn't. The Palestinians are simply, they are a product of their environment. When you've been taught by the age of two years old and up that if certain people are your greatest enemies, uh, you're going to grow up to believe that and try to carry that out. Come on, come on, everyone. And so just like you in your life, uh, just like me when I was being raised, I became a product of my environment. Environment until Jesus got a hold of my life, hallelujah, and changed my life from the inside out. Amen. Now, just as Israel must confront, this is this important, just as Israel must confront and conquer the natural threats to their freedoms, we must confront and conquer our unseen enemies who come to steal our spiritual freedoms. And the power to destroy our enemies is love. It's L-O-V-E, love, the agape kind of love. Yes, God has enemies he contends with, but they're not made of flesh and blood. But they are principalities and powers that rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6, 12. So how, if Jesus commanded us to love, in fact, verse 20 says it, to you who are ready, to, uh, to, uh, ready for the truth, I say this, Jesus said, love your enemies and let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. So how do we love our enemies? We love our enemies like we love our families by faith at times. If we will love our enemies by faith, pray for them by faith, speak well of them by faith, and commit them to God by faith, God will honor our faith and reveal himself to him, uh, to them. Uh, and I said something derogatory yesterday, um, uh, uh, slamming the president, and God convicted my heart. Because even the president today is a project of his environment. We don't wake, wake up one day and, and just embrace communistic or socialistic uh, doctrine. It's been seeded into us and all of us, and we become just as deceived and hoodwinked by the devil as anybody else. Can I have an amen? How many believe that God answers prayer? He really does. And if you'll pray for them, uh, uh, that really is the Christ-like life in motion. Uh, when I was thinking about this, I thought about Saul of Tarsus. You know the story of Saul? You should read about him. Uh, Saul, of course, uh, after his conversion became Paul. But before it became Paul, Saul was the church's greatest enemy. Uh, Saul went around. He, he had a mission from God. Listen, he had a mission from God in his mind. From God. It wasn't from God, but he thought it was. To not only arrest Christians, but to assault them, to beat them, and to throw them in prison. Not only that, we know at least of one uh, recorded incident in uh, Acts uh, 7 where he stoned an uh, evangelist called Stephen. So can you imagine the church praying, oh God, smite Saul. Kill that sucker. But I don't believe that was the prayer of the church. I believe the prayer of the church was God get a hold of Saul's life. Do, I, do you know why I believe that? Because his salvation wasn't a mishap. It just didn't happen. Somebody had to be praying. Somebody had to be standing in faith for his salvation. Praise God. And his road to Damascus, um, road to Damascus experience was, was absolutely supernatural. It was so supernatural that, with, listen, it, that within 72 hours of his salvation, uh, he went from persecuting Christ to preaching Christ. Hallelujah. 72 hours. Supernatural. In fact, 
God so valued his salvation that he chose Saul, who became Paul, to write almost two-thirds of the New Testament. Tell me God doesn't love people and care for them. Hallelujah. And the only thing that Jesus said to Saul when he met him on the road to Damascus was, uh, why persecuteth me? (laughs) Saul, why are you persecuting me? I just love that. If you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. And yet God had uh, um, uh, mercy on him and saved his life because of united love, united faith, and united prayer. Can I have an amen? Amen. Luke 6, verse 28. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple, that means flexible, moves of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, he needs to talk more figuratively. If someone, you know... uh, gets in your face, well, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt or gets into your space, gift wrap your coat and make a present of it or respond with acts of love. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice a servant life of self-sacrifice. No more payback. Live generously. See, this is the Christ-like life in motion. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the warfare we would diffuse even in our families if we would just choose love? But boy, bless God, we're going to get our opinion out there. Bless God, we're going to let you have it, what we think. And I'm telling you, we could diffuse so many wars if we just chose love over contention and strife and over our own selfish zeal. Can I have an amen to that? Verse 31, here's a simple uh, rule of thumb uh, for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then you grab the initiative and do it for them. That's called the golden rule. See, we think the golden rule is uh, do unto uh, others as they do to you. No, but it's do unto others as you would want them to do to you. And you know what? That takes faith and love, doesn't it? It takes faith and love to do that. The reason God requires this is because that's exactly what he does for us. Verse 35. I'll tell you, here it is again, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. Jesus says, you'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we are at our worst. My goodness. How many have ever had a prayer answered and you were shocked that it was answered? Come on, honestly. You You were surprised. That's how good God is to us. He expects the same from us. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find out life. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back, but given back with bonus and blessing. Giving. Not getting is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Hallelujah. And he's not just simply talking. He's talking about the very giftings on the inside of you, the character of God on the inside of you, the nine fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.20, manifesting from inside of you out to others. That is true Christianity. That is what a Christ-like life looks like. That's amazing how many people have been turned off to God because of the behavior of the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. For us who desire to be Christ-like, 
Jesus calls it a 70 times 7 kind of generosity in Matthew, the 18th chapter. And why such a high standard of love and mercy? Because God knew it's something you and I need on a daily basis. Verse 39. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into the ditch? Now remember, Jesus has not changed the subject. He's still focused on, in fact, the King James says, um, be ye merciful as the uh, Father in heaven is merciful. Be merciful as he is merciful. Unless you're full of pride, you're the only one that can determine that. How merciful he is to you on a daily basis. Raise your hand if you believe God is merciful to you on a daily basis. Thank you. Then you, you acknowledge the fact that God is a good God. God is good. Say, and his mercy endures forever. God is good. Amen. Thank God he didn't say, and his mercy endures till tonight. Hallelujah. Listen, he said, can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into the ditch? What he's simply saying here is that our spiritual perception is what gives us the ability to see the truth so we can live out the truth in our lives. You know, give an example here as we read. And the measure of light in your life will be determined by the measure of love you're willing to exercise. Verse 40, Jesus said this, students are not greater than their teacher. What does that mean? Because the teacher here in this story already has a master's in the art of loving his enemies. He expects nothing less of his students. Which he confirms in the very next verse. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. In fact, right here in the Sermon on the Mount, we discover what the teacher is like. And all through, read Luke 6, even out of the King James is good. The, 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 The master is full of love, compassion, mercy, grace, kindness, and forgiveness. And he's expecting these virtues to be manifested in our lives on a daily basis. See, you know what's hard about walking the Christian life in this sense? You got to love when you're not being loved. That's the hardest thing. And why is that important? Because that's what God does to you. He loves you when you're, even when the times you're so unloving. He still loves you. He still embraces you. He still cares about you. He still feels what you go through. So there's a standard that is required of us that's not required of the world around us. Watch this, verse 41. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a, when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The Lord said to me one day, when you're, to get a log on your own eye, it's going to take some major surgery. And what's interesting about, that's why I, I just, I, though I fail, I want to be Christ-like in my life. But I've used this often. You know, when you have a log in your eye, you're not, guess what? You're the only one that doesn't see it. But everybody else does. Why don't you get your act together like me? <laughs> and you're going, boy, look at the log in his eye. 
That's what he's saying. Your spiritual perception will be determined. How well you see spiritually will be determined by how much love you walk in on a daily basis. And like I said earlier, more often than not, you have to love by faith. More often than not. Because that's what Jesus requires. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to do with the speck in your friend's eye. This is good. Love in action sees the log in your brother's eye, yet chooses to treat it as a speck. We do that in marriage. Let me read that again. Love in action sees the log in your brother or sister's eye, yet chooses to treat it as a speck. That is what the Christ-like life looks like. Every tree, verse 44, every tree will be revealed by the quality of fruit that it produces. You will never pick figs or grapes from thorn trees. It's true. People are known in this same way. Out of the virtue stored in their hearts, good and upright people will produce good fruit. Likewise, out of the evil hidden in their hearts... Evil ones will produce what is evil for the overflow of what has been stored in your heart will be seen by your fruit and will be heard by your words. Man, this is so good. The word evil there means hurtful, degenerate, diseased, and malicious. And how hurtful can we be at times? How malicious can we act at times? We all need to be transparent regarding the kind of fruit we bear. It's not hard. It's easy to bear. Uh, bitter, critical, sarcastic, cynical, abrasive, and hurtful and malicious fruit. That's easy. The human nature picks that up like nothing. And on the other hand, if we're willing to live a humble and selfless and sacrificial life, then that's when we'll begin to harvest all nine fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We can shout it from the housetop that we're a love tree, but over time, the fruit will reveal what we really are. And we've known people in our families, born-again, spirit-filled people that loved God on Sunday but lived like hell Monday through Saturday. And it was seen in how they treated their families and how they, uh, how they talked. And that's not what we want to be. We want to do our best to be Christ-like seven days a week. That's what we want. That's, that's what we wanted to achieve in our lives, to be Christ-like seven days a week. Can you agree on that? Say amen. amen. What good does it do, verse 46, for you to say I'm your Lord and Master if you don't put into practice what I teach you? Let me describe the one who truly follows me and does what I say. He's like a man who chooses the right place to build a house and then lays a deep and secure foundation. That foundation is is the God kind of love. When the storms and floods rage against that house, when accusation, uh, dissension, strife, division, when it uh, attacks that house, the Bible says it continues to stand strong and unshaken through the tempest for he built his house right on the right foundation. But the one who has heard my teaching and does not obey, it's like the man who builds a house without laying any foundation at all. And when the spiritual storms and the spiritual floods rage against that house, it will immediately fall or collapse and and become a total loss. Which, and I like the passion, which of these two builders will you be? Yeah. Just have a couple more verses. 
to share, and then we'll pray together today. But all this is so important. Like I say, when people walk into Faith Family Church, how many want them to smell the sweet savor of God's love in your life? They see it and just... You know, just how you approach them that you're, that you're not, ah, hi, hi, praise the Lord. But, but it's real. It's real because it's coming out of the center of your love life. Stop for a moment and think about someone who has hurt you, taken advantage of you, spoken evil of you, betrayed you, took something valuable from you. And if you're willing to forgive them by faith... Pray for them by faith. Release them to God by faith. God will have legal access back into their lives. Isn't that beautiful? I had a uh, friend of ours up north in Minnesota. And uh, she went to the church that we got saved in. And uh, she stood for her husband. Stayed with him. I think they had like eight kids. And stayed with her husband and fought the good fight of faith for his salvation for 25 years years and when he got in fact they're still alive today they're in their 90s both of them and uh, the most beautiful thing about it is that when he got saved his passion for God like was a hundred times more than hers was but it was only because someone stood in the gap for him and loved him for 25 years before he got saved yeah Say love never fails. It's true. Until we leave this life, we'll be surrounded by both spiritual and relational warfare. And it's our responsibility to not allow the warfare to get on the inside of us. Now, how do we do that? We do it by living a Christ-like life of love. This is good. God's love in motion always diffuses and defeats relational warfare. God's love in motion. You got to be the first one. I'll not love that jerk until he changes his life. Well, then the possibility of him changing like you want to won't happen. Vice versa. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Look, listen to this, 1 Peter 5. These verses are so good. I just love reading them. Look at 1 Peter. Do you have 1 Peter 5 up there verse, uh, in the, the Passion Translation? 1 Peter, you'll get it. You better get it. <laughs> First Peter 5. This is the Passion Translation. I sent it up to you. Your pay scale is just decreasing at every second as we're... First Peter 5, verse 6, out of the Passion Translation. I really wanted them to get it up there because of the fact the words are so powerful. Praise the Lord. I thought computers were fast. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. How are you doing? You want me to read? Are you doing okay? It says, if you bow low in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hands. And this is good. Thank you, my friend. Next verse. Pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. For he always tenderly cares for you. Look up to heaven and thank him right now for that. He tenderly cares for you. Watch this. 
Be well balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, he roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Take a a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. For you know that your believing brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same kinds of troubles you endure. Did you catch that? We all go through the same things. We all struggle with the same uh, Adamic behaviors. We all sometimes are short-tempered, you know, impatient, you know, just say the dumbest things, the wrongest things to ignite dissension in our lives. And he's telling us all that is of the devil. Don't give him any place. And then after your brief suffering, the God of all loving grace who has called you to share in his eternal glory in Christ will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Come on, everybody. Is that awesome? Make you stronger than ever. Thank you, Lord. Yes, he will set you firmly in a place, in place and build you up. And he has all the power needed to do this forever. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's so powerful. Hallelujah. Listen, this is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. The three most powerful spiritual forces in the universe and in your life is faith, hope, and love. But Paul said the greatest is agape love, the God kind of love, the God that refuses to quit giving. The only thing that will diffuse emotional and relational warfare is an infusion of God's love within. Man, that's good. 1 Peter 4. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. That's what the agape kind of love looks like. Musicians, I want you to come forward and we're going to worship for just a moment and I'm going to pray for you. So, and all wrapping this all up, we want to know what the God kind of love looks like. And it's recorded beautifully in 1 Corinthians 13, and this is the, uh, uh, the Passion Translation. If you want to put that up there, we're going to read the Passion Translation of 1 Corinthians 13, so you understand, you understand, and recognize the God kind of love. Here it is. God's love, verse 4, is large and incredibly patient. His love is gentle and consistently kind to all, to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. God's love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. His love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seeks its own honor. God's love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. His love joyfully celebrates honestly and finds no delight in what is wrong. His love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. God's love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. The God kind of love never stops loving. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service at 9.30, as well as our midweek service on Wednesday nights at 7.00. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.